0: Good morning, everyone. Um, Welcome to uh, our second uh, industry session. Today it's uh, about VOD, and standing next to me is Wendy Bernfeld from Right Stuff in the Netherlands. Um, She is working with VOD even before I knew what VOD was. (laughs) So she followed the whole trajectory of what's happening in this space and, and I just learned something new in, in just a short conversation we had about VR and what's, what's happening over there. And also, not only in terms of the artistic um, storytelling, etc., but also what is happening in, in um, more the financial side of that, because that's very much the speciality of Wendy. So, over to Wendy. Enjoy. Enjoy. I'll throw, I'll throw some stuff in on VR at the R&D end if you're interested because many dog filmmakers cross over. <coughs> uh, welcome and thanks for getting up uh, early in the morning for this. Um, in a way, I will try to summarize the past you nightmare know, of my 20 years of Give it to 45 minutes and leave room for questions. No pressure. And uh, Just in a nutshell, if you wanted to know who we are, we're not a sales agent, we're not a distributor, so that's a little weird. We're a weird bird, um, essentially consultants for uh, agents in the American model. I'm actually Canadian. And the concept is 70% of the time, we're actually buyers for a lot of these subscription DOD platforms around the world. So by being a buyer you learn more about what their tastes are and their deals and it's easier to them spend the other 30% of the time uh, selling uh, on behalf of producers, distributors, sales agents uh, who are trying to go beyond the names they already know, either in traditional or even in digital, going beyond Netflix and iTunes, to Amazon to who else is out there. And in a way if you came and went in 10 minutes, the takeaway is don't stop with one deal. So if somebody has done an iTunes deal, someone's done a Netflix deal, or whatever, don't stop. You know, there's 30 to 50 others that can be done in non-exclusive across Europe alone. Um, And what we're doing today is, although there's theoretically 3,000 or so platforms, really I only focus on 30 to 40 that are paying real money, proper license fees to buy stuff. So it's a bit of seeing who else is out there who will either buy things that are sitting on the shelf or nowadays increasingly fund new works. Um, so I'll start with a snapshot, and then I'll just get some buzzwords out of the way for some of us who uh, hear the words thrown around about the different types of POD. And we'll go through many of these buyers and funders. Um, what I've tried, what I'll do is I'll also highlight the ones that are specifically in docs. But I know that many of you who are in docs also do other stuff in the you know, genre, sci-fi, kids, so there'll be some other examples of other platforms there, as well. Um, so, first of all, just to set the stage a little bit as of a month or so ago, uh, the good news, uh, um, she had said I've been doing VOD work for a very long time, I'm old, But in reality, if you hadn't done it or focused on it (coughs) even until now, you've missed very little financially. So people who've gone in and out in the past and tried things, they've done a deal, they got a check for $20, they got ripped off. You know, that's all history. The key is not to throw the uh, baby out with the bathwater now. Because now, suddenly things have turned a bit on their ear and digital has paid off quite well for those who aren't too fed up from earlier experiences uh, to have stopped. (laughs) And um, an encouraging note is over a third now is European. So so when you think VOD or when you thought VOD, often it was in people's minds, um, the big American platforms, uh, iTunes, Netflix, Google, Xbox, (coughs) that sort of world or you'd have pay-per-view services in specific regions. But now a great deal are European, and a great deal of them, usually three to five in each country, in India, for example, are in the subscription VOD window, which is like the Netflix window, and it's where you make, theoretically, the most money. So I'll be going through that in a minute. Um, generally speaking, most of the consumers that are uh, getting their films over the top, like from the web or whatever, uh, are also subscribers to pay TV. So when, you know, some of the earlier knee-jerks about one cancelling the other out doesn't really apply. Often if you're an entertainment junkie, you may have a pay service and you may have one or two subscription DOD services. But the younger generation is moving, obviously, more towards uh, OTT and less towards traditional cable and telecom packages. The subscription, you know, the, uh, services, but also the have doubled uh, just in the past year. And yet, some of the, just when people are starting to focus on it, it's already shifted. So if you're thinking, OK, now's the time for me to sell catalog to Netflix. It's actually a time that they're now no longer buying in bulk. They're now very selective and either buying a few exclusives or they are uh, commissioning originals. So just when the knee-jerk has turned around, it's already a bit late to just assume you could sell everything to Netflix. Same with Amazon, they compete with different strategies. Netflix is subscription VOD only, as you know as it's now global, um, Amazon will always put the uh, theatrical first, usually for 30 days. And they're starting to act much more like sales agents doing all rights deals um, that include theatrical and other windows in a shorter way. So they, they have a different strategy. But as of yesterday, I mean I'm constantly having to update this, <laughs> as of yesterday, they've announced they're going global by next month. So it used to be that Amazon was only in uh, the States, the UK, uh, Germany, a couple of other countries. And now, within a month, they're going global. What you know, though, is all (coughs) of the subscription VOD services start buying six or nine months earlier before an announcement like yesterday. So you must never look at an SVOD site, which will have some names and you'll go, who's that? look behind who they are if it looks like they're in you know poland or they're in asia it doesn't mean that six months later they're not in 30 other countries but they have to buy lots of content first before they can announce their expansion so that's one of the tricks we'll focus today because it's the topic on beyond the netflix and amazon types and focus on international and thematic foreign language because that's the hard stuff. But it's also where you might find a lot of appetite. Um, And I will only mention briefly uh, the the web creators, you know, the concept of web series or web programming crossing over now to linear, like with Viceland. Uh, Web series, web content being either repackaged or shot differently for linear TV and vice versa. These are all the, the most recent trends this year. If we look at the logos on the bottom, just to give you an example of some of the names, Stan. I mean, who's Stan? Well, do you know Channel 9 in Australia? It's a free TV network. They set up an S-pod. So they're trying to compete with Netflix. They do it under a different name, to fool us. And it's basically a free TV network, just like RTL here in Holland has a video land. Uh, you know, Channel 9 in Australia has Stan and they buy but also fund. One that's in Poland, Play is the uh, subscription VOD counterpart of the modern times group in the Nordics and that particular group has pay per view, pay per month, <coughs> ad supported, pay TV. They kind of have everything and they have different buyers doing different stuff. So it forces your sellers or you to look not just at a rejection from one but who else might be buying or funding for the other. ShowMax, anyone heard of Showmax? So Showmax maybe haven't most of you heard of, but you've heard of MNET, MNET Pay TV, which is in a way the B Sky v of Africa. So it's a 30% penetration massive premium pay TV service just like Caloplus in the France or movie network uh, in Canada, or Film filming here in Holland. And what do they do? They set up recently, six months ago, an <coughs> SBOI service, subscription VOD, over the top, <coughs> that's uh, under a different name. So you're seeing the pattern. And in, they buy separately for that type of service that they buy on their main. Mm. So their main service might be MPAA, Schwarzenegger movies, and you know, mainstream. But then on Showmax, they'll also pick up stuff they didn't have on the main service, maybe some art house, some docks, some festival titles. You know, so you, you find opportunities from these complementary services. And Showmax, although apparently in South Africa now, or Africa, uh, has recently launched uh, in Central Europe, and it'll soon go to other countries. So people thinking, oh, that's an African service. I don't have African rights may be mm-hmm. uh, short-sighted. Um, iFlix in the Philippines, it looks like. But actually, they are buying from many other regions now. Um, similarly, iFlix, these ridiculous names, you think, why do they, you know, who does these names? But iFlix, which is in the Middle East, is not only buying, but funding. They funded four uh, series, one of which was a doc uh, in the Middle East. Um, so we, you know, you're in a good time to be looking at who else is out there and who can partner with your co <coughs> The normal patterns for a lot of these services are to first deny the big services are coming, then to compete with them or complement. Then they first buy uh, locally and then they expand to international buying. Then they fund locally, like with ICFLIX's Middle East uh, uh, for... A series, but the next step very soon in 2017 is to co-produce or to uh, co-fund with others. So that you can see the path a little bit around the world from whatever country you're in. Um, the Q, Spotify, Iceland and Instant are just examples of web-type content making its way onto mainstream linear pay TV and often uh, documentary filmmakers such as for Snapchat are doing things like 60-second docs. (laughs) And they're either being funded or bought. And I would caution us all, particularly the older ones in the room like me, not to uh, (coughs) jerk around the word web doc or web series. Uh, They used to have an impression of kind of low budget, cheap, offbeat. Um, But now, really, if you look at it, most people having some sort of Apple TV connected TV, uh, Roku Box, um, Chromecast, these little devices that allow you to play the web back on your big screen TV means that a so-called web series you're effectively producing for television, your audience audiences. So, you know, there's a strategy around that that uh, is an interesting angle to look at going forward rather than the older way of thinking about uh, web content. Um, we'll come to them. <coughs> but well, one example I'll give you now is Vivendi. Uh, Vivendi, in France, owns Campus, who you, many of you know from the dark world. Vivendi also owns Havas, so um, advertising media agency. They own Daily Motion. But Vivendi recently launched an initiative in the spring <coughs> they announced it in the spring but it's live now they spend 40 million dollars on you would call it web or mobile series but their premium first run aimed at telecom and cable operators they'll spend basically a million budget uh, so it'll be 10 episodes 10 minutes each So if you're telling a story, if you're capable of telling the story in 100 minutes, you might also be capable of of making it episodic, but consecutive. And um, their only mandate is they don't want to produce with Americans. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, very cool. I can say that because I'm Canadian, so I'm living in Holland. But what it means is they, they, uh, the first one was in France, there's Latin America, but the idea is the telecom and cable companies who are very threatened by the Netflix, Amazon, iTunes world have chosen many ways of competing or complementing and one of them is producing their own originals and using the fact that a lot of youth or new subscribers are with phone or web, rather than conventional set-top box television. And they're trying different angles like this. From your point of view, chomping on a cigar, it's just somebody else who might invest in <laughs> a co-production with you, but isn't necessarily here at IDFA, or at Khan or at Berlinale. You know, They're non-traditional buyers and funders, these telecom and cable sites. Um, OK, so essentially you, as rights holders, The only thing to best do right now is not to try and figure out everything, but just to be aware that this is an opportunity to play off one against the other. Or your sales agent or your distributor or your representative should be, by now, playing off. If you're going to buy a sofa, you go to five or six stores. (laughs) the same sort of world applies for your films Um, sometimes these platforms like the ones I showed you on slide one they want to compete head on other times they're complementary, as we discussed and sometimes it's a hybrid of both so making sure that either you or they your representatives are canvassing all the options even if you end up back with the first sofa you picked uh, you have a better position financially and a wider audience, better choices than we used to. We used to have only game in town, take it or leave it, here's my offer. I'm a free television service, that's it. <laughs> so it should be an interesting period. Now, I'm going to give you an example of how the traditional players are not so traditional anymore. So who core traditional players in your region, A cable you know, a telecom, um, a free TV operator. And they're not so traditional anymore if you look around. In, in Benelux, we have um, KPN funding series and setting up an SVOD service of its own called Play. We have Telenet in Belgium. Uh, we have Belgacom or Proximus. Um, investing something like $30 million <coughs> over three years in something called the staff program to drive uh, local originals. Um, UPC, Liberty Global in Holland, had set up my prime, an SVOD, to compete head on with Netflix. Um, we've discussed. So really <coughs> the traditional players are either sleeping with the enemy because they don't bother to set up their own service. They just carry Netflix and Spotify, etc., on their set-top box. That's one route. Those are a couple of examples. Or they're creating them of their own, like we just described with Stan. BBC, as you know, you might think of as traditional. They're going as OTT into America, which means if you've sold something for the UK, you might want to get extra money for the rights to extend to America. Um, but they're also uh, moving. The funding of originals is the other way they distinguish themselves, such as the Vivendi example I gave you. It's called Studio Plus. you could look it up, Vivendi Studio Plus um, mobile series, and you'll get the other Uh Crave in Canada is the stodgiest, it's from the stodgiest background ever, Rogers Cable and Bell Telecom. And now they set up a subscription via these services that competed with each other. One was called Show Me, the other was called Crave. The last week, Show Me is on the way out and closing down. Uh, one of the classic flaws is that local mm-hmm. services <coughs> compete against each other instead of joining forces and competing against Netflix and Amazon. So when the resources are split with a local competitor, it weakens you, like in the elections a few weeks ago, as opposed to joining forces. Um, Skinny bundles is another term that you're hearing in America. But it's just begun also in Holland and nowhere else in Europe. So that's a good place to think. Skinny bundles like knipper. So if you're not Dutch, uh, knipper is like haircut. Uh, It's basically cord cutting. The concept of consumers not wanting big basic cable anymore. So this service, which by the way, in disguise, is T-Mobile. So they call themselves It's another one of those code names. but it's really T-Mobile Telecom. And what they do is they allow consumers, particularly millennials or people who don't want to pay a lot of money, to just choose channels a la carte. So they don't have to pay 50 or 80 bucks a month for a basic. Now, all of these things affect buying and funding. That's why we're (coughs) up here, to show you traditional. Wait a minute, it's not so traditional anymore. And then the digital (coughs) guys that we thought were so digital are actually acting like the old-fashioned traditionals. Netflix is taking exclusive world rights, not allowing without heavy negotiation. They will allow uh, different windows in different regions. Amazon (laughs) will take all rights. If, if they can get it. and negotiation is really key in these deals. Um, but it's also the <coughs> players like ICFLIX and who, uh, who are investing as well. Um, I won't spend time on this one. I'll give it uh, just as a background uh, that these types of services, are focused on what we used to call or what we call web content, whether it's series, shorts, etc. But some of them have crossed over to linear or been they've had a successful web series like a Fempire or a Downward Dog, and then they've been turned into conventional TV series based on the strength of the community building an audience on the web. Um, other times they're producing specifically for the web on paper, but really it ends up in first run television or pay TV. Um, So that was just to give you a little background, but from your point of view, if we focus just on the four types of VOD, the the key, and it came up even last week in a call with a sales (coughs) agent, sometimes you're here at a festival, someone's going to ask for your VOD rights. Maybe the answer is which ones? because it used to be that VOD was just all one term, and now <coughs> it's really many. So in short, just as a self-defense, T-God, pay-per-view, it's transactional VOD. Like iTunes, um, and E-S-T or D-T-O is like the old-fashioned home video software, where the consumer buys it permanently. So if you just think of that as the old-fashioned video rental versus the old-fashioned video Buy forever. Those are the first two. They're usually revenue share deals. There's nothing wrong in that. It's not like that you should be asking for a minimum guarantee. It's always a revenue share deal. But the patches, would the good patches, they're always non-exclusive. So do like 50 of them. Don't just do one Optunes deal or one Telecom deal <laughs> because that's how the money comes. Otherwise, T-Bot generally is not ever, almost ever, a money maker. It's something like that. it's a loss leader you do when a film is coming out to help with promotion and building audience but unless you have specific cases, generally you're not <coughs> running off to a villa in Spain after a D-bond deal. SVOD, however, is where it's reasonably good because SVOD means think flat fee. You don't have to get a check that's a revenue share in a subscription VOD service. Um, you can get a fee that ranges. Let's say it's a dock in one country. Maybe the fee old. Could be five hundred or it could be two thousand, five thousand depends on the dog. But you're getting a price, so you can actually make a deal on the price. That's non-exclusive, and then you can do another twenty Esfand deals as well. <laughs> so I think that's the real catch. I mentioned that there's two types. Just so that you're aware that one of the types is exclusive, like a pay TV service like Sky or HBO, or when they do an exclusive deal, they don't let you do others during the window, but then they have to pay you really a lot of money. And then the non-exclusive is the other type, where you can do a whole bunch or a second window deal, and there are smaller fees but times multiple deals in each region. AdVod is uh, ad-supported VOD, meaning the consumer pays nothing, which is great for people whose docs may not be known in other countries. So if you have a, you know, a Polish doc and you're trying to market it in Finland, uh, AdVod can be an interesting way, and sometimes you'll get a flat fee up front plus a rev share. Um, but be aware that it's separate from these catch-up rights that everyone talks <laughs> about, including your funding broadcasters. Catch-up in disguise means they're not paying you extra for it, And um, so it's more a uh, protection that the consumer has a VOD ability, but it doesn't turn to money. Um, Catch up normally, like the BBC, should only be 30 days. And no ads. So nobody's charged, nobody's paying. But after 30 days, you can put it on all of these other VODs. If in some countries, like Holland, I've often bitched about this uh catch-up is two or three years, then you have debates and problems because it's harder to monetize the films. We can discuss that later. An Ultra VOD i just put down because it's more for new films where it's a deliberate release strategy to put the film online uh, for money first, before theatrical, <coughs> and that works extraordinarily well in countries where they do it, for docs, art house, and indie films. It's also working for some mainstream films. Um, But there's big debates around it. Um, So you should just make conscious decisions when you do that. Don't do it by accident. Uh, The screening room, for example, in the US is an example of that debate, where half the studios are in favor of it, and the other half are not. (laughs) But the idea is that you charge someone, say, 50 bucks to watch the film before it's in the theaters, and they get a family viewing. and um, But a lot of uh, Indian art house and doc filmmakers who follow that strategy use it for social media, word of mouth, <coughs> audience building. And then also the hidden advantage of that, if you elect to do it, is the um, saving of cost, which is another way to make money. <coughs> so Lionsgate, for example, saved $25 million in P&A in advertising, marketing, just by choosing a different strategy for The Hunger Games, which was a good film to do it with uh, younger audiences, uh, engaging online with uh, social media characters, etc. But by saving 25 million, they only profit faster. And that same model has been carried on into foreign language like Finnish or Dutch or Italian movies where you're trying to save money in theatrical, unless you're forced to, by your funding uh, bodies or the laws, go through a traditional theatrical path first. Um, Anyway, take it with a grain of salt. So essentially, who else is out there? um, I'll just keep an eye on the time, but we're okay. Who else is out there? So as we've mentioned, don't just look at the traditional ones. Exploit as many as you can, you can't always, but go for as many as you can. And by you, I mean either you or your sales agents or distributors who you can interview a bit for the first time about what they do in digital as opposed to just all rights going. What's their practice? What have they done? Have they had any successes? Have they done any work in it? Have they gone beyond Netflix or Amazon? These are queries. You can still go with them if they haven't, but they're the right queries to ask now. Um, and you look beyond what you see today, as we discussed at the beginning, to the new services expanding into region. And essentially, the only reason we care is there's more efficiency and <coughs> possibly more money and more audience. By the way, I should mention that the dividing line, with the dividing line between traditional and digital being not so clear anymore. Often a producer, we we work as an agent or a consultant, so you want to balance traditional with digital. It's not about doing only digital deals. Sometimes you use the digital deal just to make the traditional one go up in price or make a better term. So you can still end up, let's say, Discovery's offering forty thousand in the UK and Netflix offers fifty. Producer can still say, you know what? I want to go with Discovery for the following eight reasons but then they can maybe negotiate the price up, or at least they have choices. Um, So in the TVOD window, which is the revenue share only, pay-per-view, rental, aside from iTunes and the ones at the bottom who are Amazon, you know, the ones you already know of, random, this is, well, it's not really random. These are really good services. I mean, there could be. Thousand in Europe, but I picked these really good ones as an example of all these other people you could sell that same damn film to who will buy it. <laughs> so BitTorrent, I mean we think of BitTorrent as pirate. It is, but it also has a legal site. BitTorrent has begun an ad an ad supported POD site, which you'll see later, but it also now is doing premium pay-per-view. Why? Because they want to tap into the audience they already have to help market the films. Probably better than a lot of te- telecoms and cable companies who just stick a film up in an alphabetical listing or put it under D for docs. So, you know, BitTorrent is a perfect example of a new site that you won't meet here, <laughs> who you can sell to. Pate in Holland is a cinema chain, theatrical. Very unusual for theatrical players not to be threatened by VOD. In fact, there's only one in Canada. (coughs) There's one here in Holland, of course, where we often experiment. And maybe there's one or two in the world who will agree to have a VOD next to them in theatrical. And they do it smartly in marketing. So for example, if Harry Potter is in the theaters in (coughs) the film, they'll put the older ones on the VOD site and they'll cross mark um, Flix Premiere and Pantaflix are very new services. They've only come out uh, this year, but I've exceptionally, usually I don't put stuff on the slides unless they've been around a long time, but I've exceptionally put them on because they're doing very well in returns for filmmakers and they're just focused 100% on our house dollars. So made sense. And they're going through Europe, not just uh, the US. Um, we Are Colony is another one. do in the UK is an Australian service in the UK that focuses only on art house, festival, in indie. So you don't have to worry that your film isn't mainstream. Uh, and they, in a way, you don't have to choose. You could decide to do plenty deals. I won't go through them all. Uh, you get the point. Uh, Look is in Brazil. BBC just signed with Look in Brazil, so BBC has vetted it. Then it's probably not a horrible service. And Steam, Steam is a gaming service you think of, it. a platform for millennials and gaming, but they've started a VOD site as well. Now, they'll be less interested in dogs, unless they are edgy, cool, off the young focused dogs. Some of you have those, some don't. But it's just interesting to know that they've stepped into that game. But let's get to the, uh, okay, the ad bar of the other side, like the old-fashioned free TV. Yeah. Aside from YouTube, where everybody tends to put their film up, they get great views, <coughs> but no money. I mean, a YouTube commercial deal is something like six, six cents per thousand views. It's called CTM. So you have to have a whole lot of views before you start to make any money on YouTube. But you still put your film on YouTube if you want to uh, (coughs) cross-promote, because it has a wide audience. But if you were doing that step of putting it on YouTube, you'd want to look at all of these others. So as an example, um, 2B TV, which probably no one's heard of a few years ago, Paramount Pictures licensed hundreds of its movies without a minimum guarantee. They skipped the minimum guarantee. That's how good the returns were. So the MG is a bit of an academic word if you're with a service like Hulu, uh, Amazon, or Tubi where the returns are reasonable. But for the smaller and mid sized and thematic services, you're always trying to get some money clarity. Anyway, um, I won't go through them all. I think the only other interesting one is Walter Presents, maybe? Who's Walter Presents in disguise? You know, there's now, by now you know talking to me there'll be somebody behind it in disguise. <laughs> channel 4. So Channel 4 in the UK you're probably all dealing with. Four docs, you know, <coughs> all, all four. Well, Walter Presents is uh, just launched and it's a free service that is aimed at only, like Vivendi, they're interested only in people outside their border. So if you have a foreign language non-UK series, or film, then you qualify for Walter Presents. It's just it, it, it's just a completely different way of thinking. You know, you think UK Channel 4 means British, <coughs> but that's an example. So they're buying Swedish and Danish and Italian and French series, some of which are doc, most of which are drama, but that's an example. Okay, so let's get to the two Espas, which is where most of the money comes. These are the standalone types who you can do non-exclusively 98% of the time. And on the far right are the big five, you know, the, the Who, Netflix, Amazon, you already know them. They pay flat fees. They could range from $5,000 to fifty dollars to $500,000, um, depending on a bunch of circumstances. Um, two years ago, we couldn't give dogs away for free to Netflix or Amazon. It was so not interesting to them. Now it's flavor of the month. You know, they've invested, uh, there were four doc films uh, hugely funded and invested announced at TIFF by Netflix, and Amazon's moved into the space as well. But one takeaway for you is the VOD sites in general move in faster cycles of buying than you're used to with traditional. So if you're hitting a traditional buyer, now it's usually for 2018, you know, that, that sort of pacing. Whereas in these situations, they're buying quickly, and then their taste changes four months later, and they're buying something different four months after that, as they stock up, and then they're buying again. So even the first no, unless it's that they hate your movie, uh, even the first no can just be a stock or inventory matter that you revisit six months later as they try and go. Anyway, let's focus on um, just some of them. iFlix and ICFlix I mentioned, are SBOT buyers in those regions like the Philippines, <coughs> Middle East, Africa, many other countries. Filmin is in Spain, and we just <coughs> launched a film in kids. Filmin, uh, Filmin is in Austria, look in Brazil, who can India? And they're by the way, just because they're in India, <coughs> they're buying our stuff. They're buying European stuff, English stuff. Um, it's not on the slide, but we work a lot with Youku, uh, which is the Youku Tudo is the YouTube Netflix of China. And <coughs> the first few years, they only bought Chinese stuff, then they only bought American studio stuff, then they only bought British stuff. Finally, uh, by the end of this year and early next, they're buying European, <laughs> meaning non-English, Indies uh, and, and Art House as well. And same with QE, I'm pronouncing it wrong. On the far left, though, if you're purely in docs, so the reason I put the general interest ones up on the right is that they are general interest mainstream, but they do have a dock stream. So they will buy some docs, but their whole service isn't docs. Whereas on the left, top, we have a lot more whose service is defined by either being indie art house or doc. So you may have heard of Fandor and movie, movie in the past was one of the services that beautifully curated, wonderful service, but very, very poor financial returns. People got frustrated with it. That picture's changing. They're putting up more money, and they have a different business model. But similarly, a service like Euro Cinema, which was in the US focused on buying only European film and docs, has now, three days ago, announced that it's going to be on Amazon. So the Euro Cinema brand will be one of the Amazon channels uh, carried at Amazon, as we heard in the first five minutes of my talk, is about to go global (laughs) uh, next month. So you can see what's happening with European appetite. Yaddo, I think they're speaking here in the coming days, Yaddo is a BBC ex-docs guy who set up his own doc S-Fod service. but he's just going to be totally all over buying and funding docs. We should go and see him present. Um, whereas similar competitors in the States are CuriosityStream and Vive. Now, I know these names are silly, but do you, do you know CuriosityStream people? So CuriosityStream in disguise is John Hendricks, the former founder of Discovery. So, for all you guys who knew Discovery, the founder then quit and set up his own SFOD in the States called Curiosity Stream. And they funded a bunch of docs as well as buying. Their competitor is Zive, who is also SFOD <coughs> <SVOD>, docs. <laughs> and I guess they try to differentiate themselves. The Zive the types focus on. Uh, Paranormal, The Murderer Next Door, kind of reality-type docs, history, war, whereas the uh, Curiosity Stream is more like the old-fashioned Nat Geo and Discovery, educational, science, nature, that sort of world. Nature docs, Love Nature, is an American group called Bluent, and they've rolled out into almost 80 or more countries in Europe. They're an SVOD OTT that's only nature. So for some of you who are doing that. Uh, the ones underneath are kids, I'll skip them for now. And the ones on the right are the uh, youth, you know, uh, the youth type services, millennials. Uh, CISO, for example, is comedy, but it's uh, backed by, in disguise, Universal. So, and Laugh Out Loud is Lionsgate, so you, you get the picture. Ericsson is in there in the middle. Why? Ericsson has set up a service called New View, which is an African. And it's an SBARNET, and and they're buying international stuff for Africa and soon other countries. And the traditional slides so here's the competitors who were themselves either telecom, cable, free TV, and how they're defending themselves, like those slides earlier. So, um, you know, if you're familiar with TF1, TF1 in France, they have an SBARNET. Poland has OneNet and Television Pola and Hipla, Boyo in Central Europe. Uh, these are either buying or funding docs. So it's, it's really interesting that opportunity. Um, the, uh, I think I won't spend too much time because we did it. I'll just mention circus in the UK. Uh, sorry, in the Nordic circus is actually in disguise another one called ITV. Um, so Circus is the best of British, which is mainstream British uh, series and comedy and film, but also dogs. However, the service is in the Nordics. So it's basically aiming at expats rather than being in the UK. And similarly, Curio, it's, they, they, they compete in a way with the Curiosity Stream in North America. They're also dogs, 100% that gives you an idea. Every once in a while there's a pissing mm-hmm. contest between a traditional player and a digital player where they throw a lot of money at it and try and own it and have exclusivity. So in the doc sector, some examples are the Asperger's or us, Audra and Daisy. <coughs> Weiner is a recent one, million, millions of dollars spent for rights. Uh, the Netflix examples on the left, Hulu in the middle. Um, My Beautiful Brain, um, some Amazon stuff on the right, but even um, Channel 4 versus Sky, like a broadcaster and a paid TV service versus Netflix. Netflix won out in that case. So this is not intended to freak you out. It's actually intended to say that's how many possibilities there are. You as producers don't have to know how to run around and chase them all but it should help put a context around what your representatives are doing for you if you're not doing it yourself. If they, sales agent, distributor, whoever, uh, or aren't aware of, like, three or four of these, I'd be worried nowadays. A few years ago, I wouldn't be worried. Now I'd be really wondering, like, well, what are they doing? Are you just going to go to free TV and theatrical. And I know we have rights issues, and we'll talk about them soon, but uh, it's it's more the the context to put on it. It's also to say that we've been working most of the time with producers who have a sales agent or distributor, and the producer's taking an active role now. They don't want to delegate or abdicate all the authority over to a third party who has a massive catalog. They need that, but they also do some stuff on their own, because it's your film in the end. And um, having more money from more sources benefits everyone. The uh, oh yeah, microbirth, for example, is an example of a doc funded by CuriosityStream. So it's so I won't spend time on this because it is what we talked about earlier. Basically, using VOD strategically before, during, or after the big screen or TV screen exhibition. What I've done here—it's a slide I've had for many years, but I keep updating it with uh, recent examples like from a week or two ago. So this is a phenomenon subject to certain countries where you're simply not allowed, like in France or certain limits, maybe in Denmark. But in general, these are success stories where people have chosen a strategy that either puts films online first or at the same time as, or maybe only 30 days after theatrical. Mm-hmm. And there's one Nordic example <coughs> coming up, which is uh, Elizabeth Fastad in the Nordics apparently launching a service where apparently a lot of docs and art house films in Norway have a three-month theatrical window, but after a month they're kind of not being exploited anymore. There's not much take up. There's a dark period in a way in practice. So what they're doing is partnering with the cinema owners to for a cinema-run service of VOD so that the film in months two and three of the theatrical can be on VOD. So instead of competing or having a conflict with the cinema chain, they're actually trying to fit in or complement around it. its an interesting angle. Um, something to look at. The, how do you reach them uh, in a nutshell? Because often that's the question here. It's a mix of do it yourself and third party reps. Um, the do it yourself, I'll spend no time on. There's other lectures here this week. But essentially, producers, as well as the distributors or sales agents, can be using some tools to tap into audience. Uh, in other words, even if you've made a deal. Don't just then move on without driving, telling audiences where they can find the film. Or when you're in production on films, how do you build the audience before it's (coughs) finished? These are some examples. The third party reps are people like um, me, or the Film Collaborative, or Kino Nation. Those two are in America. They don't take the IP rights. So they're a rep, an agent or a consultant, who does the job, but then you sign the contract in your name, direct with the platform. That means a lot of work for you, instead of giving it to someone else, but it also means you own that pipeline for the future, and all the revenues come to you from the deals, other than what you're paying for your consulting advice. The middle guys are the sales agents, distributors, or aggregators. Those buzzwords are, uh, you know who sales agents (coughs) and distributors are. But the aggregators are the ones that are usually the gatekeeper to an iTunes deal. So in the doc sector, it would be Gravitas or Orchard, MoMedia in the UK, Sindicato in Canada, uh, under the Milky Way. You can only, most of the time, you can only access an iTunes deal by going through an aggregator. Um, and that's, uh, they take say 30% or 25% of the revenues. The deals are signed in their name and they get you onto the store. The catch is that they, generally speaking, that layer only focuses on the big five. So it will be an iTunes uh, deal, and the other Xbox and uh, Google Play, but if your doc or film is not something that people will recognize to pay per view, it could mean that in some cases you're spending more to encode for iTunes. 800 euros, then you're going to make back on that one platform when it's really in the store. So we are often suggesting to producers, skip iTunes, just go direct to all those other ones on the earlier slide where you participate from day one in revenues without a big spend on tech or IT. Little practical solutions like that. Or at least, if you're putting stuff on iTunes, also go to the other platforms as well to make it while. And um, then, of course, the reason I put the festivals down was just to say that lately, aside from festivals having some DOD, like Robert Amfest, Sundance, Tribeca, some of them are also in the festival submission form, taking your rights, which is not a bad thing. But it's not something you should do by accident. So you know you used to submit films for a festival, but now you must really look at whatever the submission form is so you make a conscious choice. Um, The reason festivals are doing it is there's a great marketing opportunity to use the brand of the festival who may not know the name of your film or you, but under the umbrella Best of Sundance or Best of IFFR, it's easier (coughs) to have a package of 30 and then everyone settles. That's a good thing. But the bad thing is if you haven't made a strategy about it and you haven't discussed it with your sales agent or whatever other model you have, um, you've literally given the rights away to someone who may only exploit one sector and not the rest. So just think about it, but it's a really good uh, trend. Oh, uh, two days ago, actually, we announced, if you look up uh, collaborative releasing, it's not even on the slide, it's two days ago, the filmcollaborative.org is a free nonprofit site for filmmakers in the US. I'm on their advisory board and they do a, they give a lot of information for free uh, on digital distribution. But a few days ago we announced an initiative that I'm part of with about 10 other partners where it'll be hybrid distribution, theatrical if applicable plus digital America. Plus <coughs> So you won't see it really kick off until the new year, but there was, if you looked up the interested uh, collaborative releasing, uh, there may be some traction in some of your films for that. Um, again, they don't take the right. So basically, my whole point on hybrid distribution before I stop in a few minutes for questions um, is. It all boils down to this, 100% of zero is zero. I'm often hearing, I can't tell you how often I'm hearing, how people can't do any of this. It's all very nice, thank you for the academic lecture. We can't do it because we don't have the rights. And really, I would urge you not to think that way ever again. The, uh, almost everything we've had to do in VOD, we never have the rights. Any of the deals, very rarely, especially for older stuff, did people have the rights contemplating for SVOD or ACVOD four years ago for a movie made in Poland or something. You do have to go back and sort the rights, but the way you sort them is by having a good business deal. So um, often a rights holder, say a sales agent in the past, uh, because they're more active (coughs) now, they would have taken all VOD but sat on them and done nothing, and then people are upset. But also, they're not making any money, 100% is zero to zero. So we would encourage the producer to go ahead and get deals, not literally get deals, but begin the process like, oh, Nokia in Finland. We have to sort out a little rights matter. But on the theory we did, uh, would you be interested in this film and how much would you pay? They go, OK, 50,000 euros, fine. Then you go back to the rights holder and you say, well, we have a deal on the table for 50. You have the rights. It's sitting in a shelf gathering dust in your file cabinet. Let us do this one deal. Not all the deals, digital, here and after, invented in the future in perpetuity. Let us do this one thing in order. And we'll cut you in for 15% of the revenues for doing nothing. In a way, you're all familiar with this model if you hire actors, because you have sometimes approached an actor who has an agent. And she still has to kick back her 10 or 15% to the agent, even though you went director. Why don't we think creatively about these business rights issues and try and go back? So putting money where our mouth is, in, in recent years, particularly in <coughs> May in Holland, eight films were became Netflix originals. Croatia, Israel, Dutch, Nordic because we went back to the public broadcaster who funded them or the private broadcaster like an RTL and the public funding institution to get an okay to allow a, in that case, Netflix deal. And we had to negotiate for some months. It wasn't easy. But the negotiation was very simple. In, say, Holland, the country of origin, or Israel, um, it remains first... (coughs) on the public broadcaster's channel. But everywhere else in the world, it can be a Netflix original, you see? So you could carve different windows for the different funding bodies. And they got a share of the revenue. And there was a big amount of money on the table. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it. Now, sometimes public broadcasters say, well, we're a public broadcaster. We're non-profit. So we're not allowed to make money. But what you can encourage is, God forbid, you make a profit if you're a public broadcaster or recoup. Take the money from the deal and put it back into a fund for digitizing, for export, for marketing, or for new production. You can still put the money to a public use, but don't not take the money. <laughs> so it's, it's a somewhat radical concept. Um, generally, Curating and packaging for the buyers is important, like knowing who you're pitching to, and having a reasonable volume. Sometimes that means that producers join together. If you have seven docs and they're all around eco themes, that's an easier sale than one of you selling one film to one of those platforms. So it's a fairly collaborative approach. I'm going to whip through the slides quicker to allow some room. this we've covered the license periods of Show Me the Money. All I'll do now is leave you with funders, just some examples of who's been funding. Um, so when I mentioned Dutch Filmworks, they had a noble intention and a bunch of, bunch of films that we did as Netflix originals. Um, but the, these guys, that's Keanu Reeves, he's worked with the Modern Times Group Viaplay, play Nordic. They commissioned a series... With him, uh, and they commissioned a kids series recently. They haven't commissioned a doc yet, to be fair, um, but it's a huge trend. They never did this before for S. so that's a step. Um, UKTV and Channel Four are putting money into commissioning, including originals for digital. So they're did what they call digital first. Um, And the ones on the right, uh, Burnout, is from Netflix. And Chassé-Gannemar is Telenet in Belgium. So it's not all that everything is America or everything is the UK. It's it's really happening. Uh, And in the short form sector, which is where a lot of doc players (coughs) can function, 60 Second Docs, Seeker, which is Discovery in Disguise, they're commissioning. Doc series, or short series, I mean, short form. And, and from international, not just from uh, the States. Snapchat uh, did uh, worked with uh, Sick House <laughs> to do uh, that project. Um, BitTorrent, The Guardian. Let's see if there's anyone else worth mentioning here quickly. Some of the brands are kicking off. Oh, I should tell you about Good Amplified. Good Amplified is an MCN, a multi channel network, that uh, does the same sort of work that maker studios used to, but only for nonprofit and social causes. So they're a different approach. Basically, how to monetize on YouTube better if your topics are uh, in the social sector. This last slide was just to say that some of those platforms that we talked about in our hour are now funding and buying VR as well. So if any of you are beginning to be interested in VR, uh, you'll see Discovery, Hulu, uh, Vice, Sky, Seeker, they're all beginning with VR projects. It's not the topic of today, but it helps in terms of trends. Um, I think I'll skip the takeaways, which are here, to just say if there are some questions, we have five minutes for questions, and then we stop. Are there any questions? Yes? Uh, Maybe louder, yeah. I don't know if you have a take on it, but since you're talking about on demand, mm-hmm. uh, what's your take on on theatrically on, on demand what? theatrically, like yeah. the, um, and yeah. cinema in Brazil or Sweden and Spain? No, I, I, um, on one of the what earlier the future s- of this? yes, on one of the earlier slides, the creative windowing that is all around theatrical. I still very much believe there's no substitute for theatrical. That's my personal favorite as well. But I think the way we approach the business of theatrical has to modernize. So using VOD or different windows around an audience social media support is how to drive theatrical, event theatrical. I wouldn't give up theatrical, but it may change the order or you may change the marketing and costs side of theatrical. But, um, and if you want a to... You the window of distribution what it should be. You know, it's very specific. Each film has to be separately decided. For the next 18 mm-hmm. months, it's an era of hybrid distribution, in my view, my opinion. And each film has a marketing or release pattern that makes sense for that film and audience. Which you can't generalize anymore. In most cases, people are still, because of funding, doing theatrical first, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, another question before we stop, and obviously I'll stay behind after. If there's more. Any other? Yeah. I might have missed it because there's was so much. There. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> uh, but but are there, did you mention any examples of um, traditional broadcasters who have partnered fifty-fifty with uh, mobile networks? Yeah, well, that, oh, a traditional broadcaster partner, Yeah. Partnered. yeah. Uh, Something happening. Yeah. Yes, Vodafone mm-hmm. has been active in that sector. Um, uh, the, there are two that are not public that are happening as we speak, where they're uh, partnering with telecoms for mobile. And the, the one I did mention, which was public, was Vivendi. Uh, who was partnering, mobile networks partnered uh, with producers, but not with uh, um, TV broadcasters. But the third level of that is once the 10 times 10 minutes is done for mobile, it goes to TV as a movie or it goes to theatrical as a film after. So if you're following this type of format and making it fit other traditional models, it's easier to sell or monetizing other windows after? I think we're out of time. Yeah, so I'm not sure if my... Yeah, there's my uh, contact info if you want to be in touch. But I uh, hope this is helpful anyway. <laughs>